Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to and watching the Downtown Riders Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We're coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today. Uh, fall seems to have gone away. We are in, in, apparently in winter. It's in the 30s. Pepper, the border. This is her last show. Uh, she is not happy with this weather. Um, very barky. And in between barky is sleeping under every cover she can find. It's such a fun show today. Um, if you listen, you know I love my historians. I love uh, my people who write and study uh, things that came before us, and we have one of those people on the show today. Anne R. Williams is here talking about her book, which she wrote and edited, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, which is out right now. So uh, she writes about, Anne writes about uh, the ancient world and cultural heritage uh, preservation. She's an archaeologist, um, and she, for three decades, she worked at National Geographic magazine, where she reported on new discoveries in the latest research in archaeology. Uh, she's been all over the globe. Uh, she's been witness firsthand to lots of really important archaeological finds, um, some which she describes in the book. This is one of those interviews, legit, where, like, I ask a question, and then, like, I just disappear for six or seven minutes because Anne is a professional storyteller who literally uh, does a little bit what I did at Wired, which is translating what the scientists are writing about and telling it to people who are not scientists, right? So she's steeped in this stuff. And it was fascinating. Oh my God, it was fascinating. Even more interesting is that she edited uh, the book of uh, Dr. Kara Cooney, who's just been on the show. So I have all these Egyptologists, like and people that study uh, that time period floating around the program. And it's, it's so interesting to me to be able to talk to them because as we talked about on the show today, uh, which you don't know yet, but you will hear, um, so much we forget how close history is even ancient history uh, is to us you know um and i've talked about this and this isn't about uh, egypt but you know when we talk about like slavery in this country and people are like oh my god it's so long ago like i have friends they're older whose like grandparents and great-grandparents were literally impacted by slavery um either first generation out or sharecroppers or like they literally have people that they knew in their lives who can talk about that. And we think about that as being so long ago, like most of us don't, but like, this is a discussion and we have to remind ourselves that like, these are just a few generations back. 
even when we're talking about the 1300s, which we talk a little bit about today. Yeah, it's 800 years ago. No, you don't know anybody from there, but that's just a few a few generations back. And so for us to imagine that somehow we have become very different kinds of people, that doesn't oftentimes is not the case. And so talking to Anne about this and having this book that spans thousands of years of human history and stories that are, again, there's not a through line. This is not like a narrative book, but when you begin to read this stuff and get involved with it and like really take deep dives into those things, you begin to see like, oh man, like there are some threads and natural outcomes of our world today that come from before us. And I tell my favorite JCR Lickletter uh, story on the program, which uh, none of you know, uh, you will hear it and um, it's fantastic, but it deals with exactly this kind of thing, right? So, uh, Anne is great. Uh, you should definitely pick up the book. Um, she's delightful. This conversation was, uh, I mean, I was like you guys this time. Like, I was a listener, and um, it was perfect. Before we get to Anne and her book, uh, a little bit of business. So, as you know, the video podcasts come out on Mondays and Fridays. You can catch those on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also catch them at theridersjam.com, or you can catch them on the audio channel, wherever you listen to the Downtown Riders Jam. I need you to do a couple things to help us out. First, I want you to think about the readers that you know in your life. Even writers. They can be writers as well. They can be both. And I want you to tell one or two of them about our show. That's the surest way to help us spread the word about the program. And what we're trying to do here is introduce authors to new readers. So you can help me help them. Second thing you can do is if uh, you listen with the iPhone, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review and a star review there. That's really helpful uh, to help us climb through the rankings. And if you don't have an iPhone or you don't use Apple Podcasts, don't worry. Head over to the Facebook page, uh, the Writer's Jam. Click on that little review button and leave us a written review there. Uh, over at the writersjam.com, our website, like I said, you can check out the video series you can also see all of our latest episodes um if you're looking for books to read we have reviews and if you want to buy those books you can click on the bookshop link and help support local and independent bookstores all over the country sign up for the monthly newsletter and for just a couple bucks a month you can sign up uh and support everybody on the solid listen network by clicking on a patreon button we have commercial free episodes there all kinds of bonus content uh the, the network's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so there's a bunch of stuff behind the wall uh, that I think you'll find entertaining. And it helps us keep the lights on. Uh, Malls and, and Nicole are doing a lot of hard work uh, building out the programming. So uh, it's a good time. Uh, I think you're going to just find Anne delightful. And uh, I'm really excited for this. I actually, again, I can't wait to get the book either because um, these kinds of books I think are, are, are perfect for the pandemic. Um, it's a hundred chapters. So you're reading little essays and, and getting to see um, gorgeous photos. Like the photos in the book are gorgeous. So uh, thank you for stopping by the bunker, spend a little time with me and uh, pepper the border. I hope that your day is warmer than my day is right now. Uh, I hope you're taking care of yourself, get the shot, get the booster, do all the stuff. And uh, next year, I will say uh, the jam is going to Europe. We will be in England and Germany uh, for a few weeks, and we got some fun stuff planned while we're there. Uh, so very excited about that. Um, but for now, 
I hope you will sit back and enjoy 30 minutes or so with the incredibly charming and brilliant and smart and funny Anne R. Williams. It really is uh, the right book at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and if you read the whole, if you read through the whole book, um, which I have done many times, of course, <laughs> um, I, I wrote part of it and edited the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think what I came away with anyway was a sense that, yes, our, well, so the book goes back, it starts with the late Tolle footprints. Um, laid down 3.66 million years ago in wow. what is now Tanzania. And it, and it goes right through the sinking of the Titanic in April 1912 um, and the discovery by Bob Ballard in 1985, I think. So, you know, when you, when you read through all of that, this book really is a celebration of the human experience. And what I came away with was the idea that, yeah, you know, you, you have to think that our ancestors going back millions of years went through similarly tough times and they did <laughs> not have the benefit of modern science and yeah. modern medicine. A plague would strike and they would have no clue, yeah. A, what it was, B, how to, how to medicate it, C, how to cure it. Um, you know, we have the advantage of all of those things. Yeah. And our ancestors, without those advantages, created these wonderful legacies for us. Um, this book, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, really celebrates the high points of human history. And despite all of the trials that our ancestors went through, they managed to create these really beautiful things. And we too will get through this very difficult time and we will lead leave some very nice legacies i think for the people who come behind us we are all part of this great sweep of human experience and human history and that is what uh, one of the many things that i love about this book yeah. that i have helped create well, and there, you know, there are two things that come to mind. The first is like I travel. In fact, I'm planning a trip to Europe um, next year. COVID vaccine, assuming you know everybody continues to do what they're supposed to do. Um, and there, like, I, for those of us that travel, and obviously you have traveled all over, like not being able to go anywhere has been. It, that is, it is a, it sort of hurts my soul not being able to get out. And so having yeah. things like this where you can actually experience travel through the images and the stories of what's happening, even though it's not present, it still allows your mind to do the thing that it does when you travel, which is what you just said, which is be part of something larger and understand sort of your place. And there's something, at least for me, that's very comforting about that. Um, and so I have found, I have, I've done some historical fiction reading, but I've talked to several nonfiction writers who have written books about, yours is not about natural disasters, but about disasters in the, and the ability of humans to overcome in the face of adversity. Mm -hmm. Like no matter whatever bullshit is happening right now in this country, if yeah. something bad happens, we know most people are gonna put those things aside and help their neighbors. And that's yeah. the sort of thing that reminds you like, oh yeah, this thing is a construct. It's a, it's a feature of a system to keep us apart. But when it gets down to it, most of us are like, uh, let's get together and figure this out. Yeah, neighbors help neighbors. Yeah, 
and the travel thing, I think, and just being able to have that sort of understanding that like time is beyond us, like it's beyond whatever time we have on this earth. Our story as humans is way bigger than wherever we're at. Absolutely. I think another thing, you know, riffing off that theme, another thing that this book does is um, it's great for armchair travelers. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you can just you, you can just if, if you have two minutes, you can open it up and you can read about something. The chapters are short. They're easy to read. I just sat down this morning and read a couple in, <laughs> in preparation for talking with you. And yeah, I mean, I found it, you know, it's it's readable. It's accessible. Um, I do a lot. One of the things that I did during my long career at National Geographic magazine was, I was sort of a translator between science and the general public. Yeah. And because I am an archeologist by training, I covered a lot of excavations. And so I've read a lot of site reports and a lot of really dry <laughs> stuff, yeah. believe me. Um, and this book synthesizes all of that. So the lay reader doesn't have to do that. They get yeah. sort of the the con the condensation of <laughs> you know what all of the archaeologists spent years and years digging up, studying, pondering. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all in there. Um, so it's very cool. I think also, you know, once we get traveling again, it is a great resource if you're interested. Yes, yeah. I would. If you're interested in ancient history, you know, you say, well, where do I want to go? Mm -hmm. And you can take that book and just, you know, open it up anywhere and say, hmm, well, how about here? Yeah. It's uh, my career was you, you don't know this, but my career was at Wired and then MIT's technology review. So I'm not an archaeologist, but I spent my life in labs. Uh, and my training is like, you know, reading science and understanding things like quantum computing. I mean, not that I understand it, but like, uh, like trying to figure out what these people are doing and then explaining the sort of gloriousness of that to my I always tell people like you got to write it for your mom and dad or the person you're sitting next to in the bar. Yeah. If yeah. somebody's like, what's the, like, what do you do? If I'm like, I'm a science and technology writer, nobody's ever like, well, please tell me more. Right. <laughs> um, and so there, but there is that like, you must like me, I'm assuming feel a great joy to be in that middle, to be like, oh my God, I get to see all this stuff yeah. and then tell people these amazing stories about things that they don't necessarily think about that fundamentally have shaped everything that we do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I once worked for a division at National Geographic magazine where um, the, the head of the department said, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort of feed people with great cocktail party chatter. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, can you believe what I read in National Geographic magazine? Yeah. It is a true fact. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was really fun to work on. I, I, I quite liked uh, working for that person. Yeah, it's to me like books like this, right? Like books that um, sort of delve into that. And again, like this, I don't we don't generally do deep dives into the writing stuff. But um, as a writer, as somebody that did analogous things, obviously not the same as what you did, like there was ju I just every day was so amazing. Even the shitty days at the job were doing that stuff because you never knew if this was the day you were going to see something and just like, how does everybody not know this? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, how is this not a thing that we're talking about? 
yeah. every minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I always say in, in these kinds of organizations, you sort of, you sort of have to um, draw a line between, on the one hand, the politics of the place. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> on the other hand, you know, the actual work. Yeah. You know, you stay for the work. You go in in the morning for the work. You you get excited for the work. Yeah. The work is just so, so cool. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we're, we don't do math and we don't talk about age and stuff on here. But, like, I was at magazines in the 90s. And, like, that was sort of the end of the time when, like, you had budgets to go do stuff. But, like, in the heyday of this stuff, like, it really was an interesting job covering these things. You know, I only got to... I'd traveled a little bit in Europe with Wired, but like mostly domestically. And it was just one of those, like, I don't know, like it just, as a storyteller, you just get really excited about that. So like, how do you settle on this book? Or does this book come down from National Geographic? They're like, we want, this is what we want to mine today. And we think you're the person to do this. The latter. Um, There is a wonderful editor named Hillary Black at National Geographic. Oh yeah, yeah. She has lots of ideas. Yeah. And, um, and is a wonderful colleague to work with. And she and I actually never met when we were on campus together. It, it's, you know, it, it's not a vast campus, but, yeah. you know, if you're in your pod, you, know, you don't necessarily talk to other people or meet other people. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we've seen each other in the elevator somewhere. <laughs> um, but she knew of me and she had this idea of this book and we called it for for many months we were just calling it 100 discoveries <laughs> so she reached out to me and she said look i you know i think you'd be a great fit and can you begin by coming up with a list of uh, 100 of the most spectacular interesting impactful archaeological discoveries ever <laughs> did you say only 100 <laughs> so, yeah, well, so I sat down and just off the top of my head, you know, wrote down about 80 discoveries. Yeah. Um, and then other people sort of added other things. Um, my husband, who was in the Coast Guard for many years, came into my office one day and said, have you put in the Mary Rose? Well, I said no, and I googled Mary Rose. <laughs> Mary Rose, should I know about this? Yeah. It was a warship. Oh. Um, by, um, during the time of King Henry the Eighth. Holy shit! England. Yeah. Wow. And there was a battle with some French ships. Um, the uh, this uh, the Mary Rose went down off the southern coast of England. And there it stayed since, you know, the mid, since the 1600s, right? Yeah. Um, And um, I think it was discovered in the 1960s. And because not only the timbers of the boat, but all of the insides of the boat had been in anaerobic conditions for so long, they all survived. And so there is a museum in Portsmouth, in uh, Portsmouth, Ohio, not Portsmouth, Ohio, Portsmouth, England. Okay, I was like, I'm from Ohio. I'm like, well, that can't be true. (laughs) Southern England, um, (laughs) where it's a purpose built museum and it's filled with this boat and all of the things that the sailors used and worked with and cherished, all the things that have survived. So, you know, that was my husband's idea. 
Now, another idea was um, there was a lovely woman, young woman who was working with Hillary as an assistant last year. Um, her name was Mariah Petty. So she said, well, what about the Rianche bronzes? Well, you know, again, I had no idea. And I'm so embarrassed to say because, you know, I, part of my major was classical archaeology. I should have known about these things. So these were two large bronze statues that were made in the 300 BC roundabout, somewhere in the Greek world. Um, one is six and a half feet tall, the other is a little bit taller. And the theory is that they were on a boat headed to Italy and the boat maybe got into trouble. And the captain of the boat looked at these statues each one weighing 300 pounds. Oh no, over said, the side. Yeah, no, boat's in trouble. These things are going overboard. And he pitched them overboard. Oh my God. Fast forward to the 1970s. There was a young man, I think he was a chemist from Rome and he was on vacation and he was snorkeling on the last day of his vacation off the coast of Italy near the town of Riace. And you know how when you're, um, snorkeling and your fin kind of flicks the sand. He did that with his fin, the sand flicked away and he saw a hand at the bottom of the ocean floor. Oh, and shit. he had, yeah, he had, he had a moment <laughs> because he thought it was a dead body. Of course it was not. And archeologists got involved. They managed to rescue these two statues and clean them up. Oh and they are God. now in a museum, I think in Riace, and they are just so gorgeous. Um, just amazing. Um, and so I'm very thankful to Mariah for not only bringing that to the mag to the book, but bringing that to my own attention yeah. because you know now it's something that I love. <laughs> Mariah had another idea. <clears throat> she knew of. Um, an archeological dig at a place called Kilwa on the Eastern coast of Africa. And I think maybe it's Tanzania, I could be wrong about that. But at any rate, back in the 1300s, there, was a, there were a string of these very wealthy trading cities along the Eastern coast of Africa. Okay. And I mean, they were trading with India, yeah. They were trading with China. Mm -hmm. These cities were wealthy. They were full of wealthy people wearing Chinese silk. Mm -hmm. um, and so Mariah knew of this one place, Kilwa, that had been investigated. And in fact, there was a Muslim traveler named Ibn Battuta, who in the 1300s um, went from Morocco to Mecca to make the Hajj and then kept on going for the next 30 years. Holy, just never turned left. <laughs> and in his memoirs, he said Kilwa was one of the most gorgeous cities that he'd ever seen. Now this man in 30 years had seen something. Yeah. And if he called out this city, that means that must have been something quite spectacular. So the largest, I think, remaining, the, the largest surviving 
intact mosque from that era is in the ruins of the city of Kilwall. Wow. Um, so you have to imagine, you know, these, these buildings built from blocks of ancient coral, whitewashed, um, streets between them, um, you know, trafficked by wealthy merchants wearing Chinese silk, and all of this happening beside the sparkling turquoise waters of the ocean off the east coast of Africa. I mean, it's just extraordinary. So again, you know, something I didn't know about in all of my years of covering archaeology, never knew about that. Um, so, you know, those are just, so finally we had, we had a list of about 120 um, to begin with. And, you know, and then the cutting came. <laughs> the and, painful part of the show. we had to lose some. Yeah. Now, the, the timeline was too tight for me to write the entire book. Um, but I wrote about a third of it. Um, and then I edited the other two thirds. So, wow. and I wrote all the captions. Um, so the, the, the book really is a, um, in great measure, um, something that I had a, a, a big hand in creating. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. It's one of the most um, interesting sort of threads that have been happening on this show for all the years I've been doing it is anytime I get historians in here. Because, or people, not that you're a historian, but people that's, I mean, you are in... Um, in the sort of grand scope of things, like looking at the uh, at the scope of history, no matter when it is, is this? I don't think people understand. Like we we have the saying, right? Like uh, if you don't know history, you're destined to repeat it. And like that's some cliche that like we just talk about in the world. But everybody who I've talked to, who talks about 
history, who studies it and who writes about it, is always telling stories about how it shapes our world or about how it connects to our world or the ways in which these things that we see, you see these through lines through human history, which I just think is so important for not only just for like general knowledge, but just our own like way that we live to understand that like we are, as we've talked about, part of this large cosmic uh, story yeah. and your yeah. life takes on a different kind of meaning, whatever your religious background of, of whatever, whatever philosophical background, when you connect that and go, oh my God, like it's not really that long ago that these stories that, yeah, 800, 900 years yeah. seems like a long time ago, but really it's not generationally that far long ago. Exactly, exactly. Well, if you think about the Laetoli footprints being laid down 3.66 million years ago, you know, yeah. 800 years is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a science teacher that used to always, she would always say like in the geologic, geologic uh, span of time, this yeah. is yesterday. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like anytime people are like, well, that happened 200 years ago. Like, yeah, in the geologic span of time, that's yesterday. Like there are still relatives of relatives who know that, right? Who experience yeah. that and those things. And so you like, that's why when like this came across my desk, I was like, oh yeah, this kind of stuff fascinates me. One, just because it's a, you also realize how not different we are, right? Like we have more technology. We have a more ease to do things yeah. like we talked about. We have science that allows us to like get a flu shot if we, you know, so we don't die at 24 of the flu, but Otherwise, the things that we do are eerily similar to the things that happened before. Uh, you know, uh, reading about history and traveling are two, two opposite sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, you know, that they really do teach you that humans are humans. You know, everybody gets up in the morning, you know, they're hungry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they all like they were tired at the end of the day. They need to sleep. I yeah. mean, you know, where's the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they also wonder, like, what's on the other side of that mountain? And like, yeah. how can I help? Like all of these things that sort of make the internal humanness of us existed. Right. And like we didn't just show up and like, oh, we're self-actualized now. Like this was going on for a yeah. long time. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it really makes you appreciate how inventive and creative and resilient yeah. human beings are. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, we were just talking the other day. I, was, I had a friend over here and we were talking uh, about like, well, look, when the power goes out and people can't cook for like three days, you realize civilization is a construct. Like we think it's a thing. Yeah. And then you sort of read these things and you study that stuff and you're like, oh, these people lived in a world where power, like electricity wasn't a thing, right? Like cooking wasn't right. like fight. Like they had to make all of that stuff and somehow yeah. they survived. And we're yeah. like, what are we going to do? <laughs> there were no factory. Well, they're there in ancient Egypt. There were right. facilities to churn out things like beer yeah. jars, but you know, there weren't factories in the way we think of them where the assembly line is pushing stuff out. No, you know, but you those things are, something, you they are out, out how to make it. Yeah. But they, the factories of today are outcomes of ingenuity of all these generations before, like nobody just showed up and was like a factory would be a good idea. Like it's accumulated <laughs> knowledge of time, right? Like it's one of, one of the most fun things that I ever did when I taught was there's a guy named J.C.R. Licklider. He's the uh -huh. father of the National Science Foundation. He was the head of the World War II Science Division. And when the war was ending, he was like, hey, we should start this new thing. And he writes this piece called As We May Think. It's a 25-page uh, article in The Atlantic that says we should have uh, 
digitize all of our information. And we should have mobile devices that you can access things whenever you want to. And we should be able to talk to people on these mobile devices, even if they're not there. And we should be able to send all, like he outlines this stuff. And I wow. would tell kids like, you think today is inevitable and it's inevitable because 80 years ago, the people that decided to do this laid a framework and everybody yeah. else just built in that framework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that to me is what this stuff is like, whatever we do, there's a framework that was kind of laid across the, the world. Of, yeah. Not that it's inevitable, but uh, we kind of know where we're headed. Well, you know, another interesting motif that comes out of this book, which is, you know, it, it, it's very multi-layered, in fact, yeah. um, is that archaeology really has progressed talking about building on blocks that were laid down in the past. Um, archaeology has really quite progressed from the days of Heinrich Schliemann, who was, who was in all honesty, you know, somebody who had a lot of enthusiasm, um, <laughs> but was basically, you know, looking for something yeah. and looking for treasure and looking for publicity, you know, from that extreme to today where we have a multi, it, it, it really has evolved into a science and it is multidisciplinary. Yeah. So when you go to the field, you know, you have your geochemist and your, you know, ceramicist and your physical anthropologist to look at the bones and your pollen specialist and, you know, the 3D photography specialist. Um, so all of these new technologies are really bringing yeah. archaeology to a really brand new day. And the last section of this book, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, is a, a, a short list of some of the new technologies that are really causing archaeology to evolve to yeah. the next level. Um, things like LIDAR, which can peer through the canopy of a rainforest and see structures that are hidden below. Things like wow. Sarah Parkak reading satellite imaging and figuring out how to filter satellite images so that they reveal ancient sites. Um, that is one of the most exciting things. Um, Sarah is very interesting. She teaches at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, and she won the very first TED Prize for a big idea. She got $1 million, and here was her idea. She had spent years. She, she, was, she literally wrote the textbook on using satellite images to do archaeological work, to find archaeological sites. <laughs> um, so how this works is, <clears throat> for instance, if you have mud brick that is buried in the sand, if you have a satellite image of that site and you filter it in a certain way, you can see those mud bricks, buried mud bricks. Now, why are you able to do that? Because the mud bricks absorb water in a different way yeah. from the sand. 
and a certain kind of a filter on a satellite image will pick up that. Yeah. Well, so Sarah knows all about that, but she 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 has told me I I know her quite well, and and she told me, you know, she just used to sit in her lab and click through one satellite image after another, <laughs> click through this filter and that, just thousands of yeah. hours. Mindless, her, boring work that changed the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, but her idea was. Can we get citizen scientists to yeah. do this? Yeah. She paired with the Ministry of Culture in Peru. Um, and with this million dollars that she got from Ted, they created an online game, basically, mm -hmm. for citizen scientists. I don't know whether you played that game. Mm -hmm. I played the game. It was called um, Global Explorer. You can look it up. Wow. And what what those of us who were playing the game were shown were what they called tiles. In other yeah. words, parts of satellite images yeah. that we could all click through. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for signs of looting, signs of encroachment, or signs um, of, an, of a, an archaeological site that might be there that, that didn't seem to have anything being done to it. Yeah. We had literally thousands of people around the globe playing this game. <laughs> and at the end of you know some months, I can't remember how many months, we ended up identifying more than 700 major site, ancient sites that the Ministry of Culture in Peru had no idea were there. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing. That's stunning. That these new technologies yeah. are starting to do. I mean, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, not to be weird, but like Star Trek, like that's literally like you would watch that in science fiction where like the, they would ship would go and they'd scan the planet and they're like, oh, there's ancient ruins there. Yeah. And like, you know, in the eight nineties, you're like, that's the, we can't do that. And like now it's like, oh yeah, we're going to, they use the SETI idea, right? Like I was part of the wow. SETI project forever. I that like anytime my computers weren't being used, they were sifting through stuff in outer space. Like you just dedicate your computer power to that. So yeah, um, yeah. Like, it's amazing. Like it's uh, science fiction isn't fiction anymore. I know. Well, this, again, this gets back to like the hard science fiction stuff. All like they're reading these papers that other people were you know, like JCR Licklider. And then they're writing stories about, well, what if this could happen? And it, and it again sort of becomes not inevitable, but you're like, oh, yeah, that actually makes sense that we now have scanning technology because, of course, different kinds of things will give off different kinds of light based on what's happening. We just need yeah. to have the stuff that is fine enough from a distance to be able to do that. I mean, it makes logical sense, but yeah. only now, right? Like 15 years ago, you just said, well, that's insane. No, like, that's not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I have to remind myself every day, you know, if you are a scientist, you need to keep an open mind. <laughs> yeah, that'll never happen is a bad idea. You just, you, you follow the evidence. Yeah. You never say never. Yeah. Um, well, and I've, I've been wrong enough, like, and then we'll get out of here, but like, you know, I, I will give talks where I'm like, well, let me tell you all the things that wired that as a really smart guy who studied this stuff, I said, this probably won't happen. That absolutely happened exactly yeah. the way that I said it would. And I'm like, at the end of the day, like almost every breakthrough is a series of small increments that somebody finds, somebody who has a particularistic knowledge that you don't have uses a thing in a way that you couldn't conceive of. And yes. that's what a breakthrough is. So yes. yeah, anybody that sits back and says that'll never happen. Yep. 
is either selling you something or doesn't really understand how science happens because somebody's going to come along and crack that code at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I am reminded of another chapter in this book. There is a an archaeologist anthropologist named Tom Dillahay, um, who is at a university in Kentucky. And many okay. years ago, back in the 70s, 80s, he started to dig at a site called Monte Verde in Chile. And he was finding dates at that site. Um, it, it was just an encampment, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was finding dates like 14,000 years ago. Oh and that was, that was several thousand years before the experts um, had thought that human beings were in, um, in the Western Hemisphere. And for years, wow. Tom was sort of on the outs of the scientific community because they just could not believe. Yeah. It didn't fit that, the model. That he had, yeah. exactly, they yeah. could not believe yeah. that there could possibly be something yeah. that was, that, that, that blew up their model. Yeah. Now, everybody's come around, fortunately for the career of Tom and other people who have found very, very early sites in the Western Hemisphere. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, you do have to keep an open mind. Yeah. If if a real life scientist is finding evidence and saying, <laughs> you know, you've all been thinking about X, but maybe you could think about Q. Yeah. You know, maybe we better start thinking about Q. Yeah. My my experience with that is CERN, right? Like as they were looking for the God particle and 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 dealing with string theory, I would watch all of the, you know, there's the two camps. I don't know how much you're into that, but there's the two camps. There's the people that sort of have the standard model and sort of moving through that. And then there's these other folks. And every time they would have a new discovery, like just watching that. And then you read this stuff and I'm like, look, these are small increments. So whatever you're reading in the paper is probably not true because this is a this is really heavy lifting stuff. But watching these world internationally renowned scientists fighting about did this destroy the model or does this build on the model and uh -huh. just watching that you begin to understand like the politics of science is also really interesting because well, everybody who's built their career has a stake in whatever model it is that they're in but that's the beauty of science at the end of the day the facts win the facts yeah. will eventually beat those politics. They just Absolutely. will. Absolutely. And that's the, it's the joy of this. Uh, and you are charming and fantastic. And I, I could sit down and listen to you tell stories about this stuff all day. Um, uh, the book Lost Cities Ancient Tombs just came out, right? Just out in November. It's, it's right here. I have it. Ta-da. Oh. And I was stunned when I got it. It came in the mail the other day. And... You know, you know, I've only been seeing this in PDF form, right? So, you know, I had no sense that it was going to be so heavy and so fat. Yeah. And so satisfying to page through. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. a six by nine, right? Like it's not a coffee table book. It's a standard size. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I was flipping through some of the images and I was like, well, I don't know, like, is this going to be a big one or a small one? But like the stories are in, like there's photos and the stories are in there. Like, there are, well, so yeah. I can, let me see, I can crack. We basically book. just had like, like the three or four stories you told her, the kind of things that we're going to see in that book. Well, so here are the knock terracottas. Oh, so, you so know, beautiful. there's an essay with a yeah. photo. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, 
you know, you you run your hand over the paper. I mean, it's yeah. really super nice paper. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, if, um, if if one is thinking about gifts at the end of the year. Yeah, this is this, a like this is a great gift to give. Yeah, and buy the hardback because these are the kind of books like you, you see. I got my bookcases in the back. I generally buy hardbacks, but anytime there's books like this, like those, I want the hardback because there's yeah. just something about holding that, like something that's an artifact that I am reading yeah. is important to me, right? Like this isn't like a, a true crime where I'm like, well, just tell me the story. Like you want to yeah. see these and experience this stuff in all of its beautiful glory. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's not only a very good read. Um, it really is a very good reference. And yeah. I actually wish during my career at National Geographic that I had had a book like this on my shelf um, that because things would come up yeah. in the course of sort of daily um, reporting of archaeology. And I, I know a lot about archaeology, but I don't know everything. Yeah. And I would love to have had a book like this where I could just sort of open it up and say, you know, what, who were the Minoans? You know, can, can I just read yeah. for, for two minutes and find out what they were so I can put this discovery in context? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, th this is going to be on my own bookshelf. Yeah. Um, at, at pretty close reach where I can just sort of, you know, put my hand in it and say, um, wow. Yeah. Let me, well, let me just look through and. and I mean, uh, as soon as we're off the phone, I'm ordering that book because that's exactly the kind of book that I love to have on my coffee table to pick up and read, like, uh, particularly since it's a hundred, like it's not a, it, this is not a story. These are a hundred stories. And so yeah. you can spend a few minutes on them and like, move That's your way right. through the book yeah i love that right. yeah yeah uh particularly now i got pandemic brain where like sometimes the anxiety kicks in and i'm like i need 15 minutes to just like not think about whatever my head is doing <laughs> I, I i do the same thing i call it a brain break yeah 100 uh, yeah find, find a good book yeah you know sit by the big picture window let me <laughs> pour on me and just you know lose myself in the book for yeah 10 minutes Plus the dogs that I watch all like it when I do that because they know it's about to be lap time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this has just been absolutely fabulous. You are fantastic. Uh, the book is out I now. It's worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's I love I love writers and I love history and I love this kind of stuff. So like, it's very easy for me to get enthusiastic about it because it's real. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have a great day. Um, I hope we can talk again soon. Uh, I want to hear about this next book when it comes out and we can yeah. do this again. Next year at this time. All right. I'll put that Treasures on the calendar. Of Egypt. It's a date. I'll see you a year from now. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take care, Brad. Well, never has this hat been more appropriate than that last interview. That was uh, Ann R. Williams. Uh, delightful. Absolutely delightful. Uh, the book Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs is out right now. Uh, and I'm not lying. Like I literally just went hit the buy button. Cannot wait to get that. That was going to be sitting on the coffee table here in the bunker. Love stuff like that. Uh, it's beautiful. If you're not watching, if you're listening, it is a beautiful looking book. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you can just have sitting around and it's a perfect pandemic book, hundred different chapters, short, you can read them little brain cleanser, but also going to learn something. Um, and like for those of us who love to travel, it's really great to like have a book like that sitting around because it allows you to at least go some places in your mind. Before we get out of here, a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, do us those two favors we talked about in the show. 
leave us a review. If you listen with your iPhone, head on over to Apple Podcast. Leave us a star review and a written review. Super helpful. If you don't use anything else, head over to the Facebook page. Click on the review button at the Writer's Jam. And leave us a review there. Don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McAleer. There's a ton of shows on the network now. Nicole and Molly have been building this thing out. Uh, so get over and check that out. Also, these video podcasts come out on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also find them over at theridersjam.com. And you can catch the audio version wherever you listen to the Downtown Riders Jam. And the jam comes out on Wednesdays. So make sure you get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss anything that we do. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I'll see you around the internet. Believe. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.